you are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, how you doing? Locked On Browns, episode 122. I am your host, Jeff Floyd. Uh, guys, want to thank everybody. Uh, another great week last week. Uh, I kept the shows a little bit down last week with the Thanksgiving holiday. My oldest daughter turned 11 on Friday. Uh, still had family around for that. Uh, we're back this week. I already have three guests booked for the week. Uh, should be another great week here. Uh, you know, appreciate you guys uh, reaching out, everybody getting into the play draft promotion. Uh, you know, it's always nice to keep the sponsors happy. Uh, as far as yesterday, uh, you know, bowed, uh, bowed down to the Bengals. But, you know, on a brighter note, 0-11, and, 11, and uh, it's kind of funny, it's 0-11, 12th game of the year. Uh, that guy who wears jersey number 12 uh, should be a fixture Sunday. So, I mean, it's almost like a clean slate. We'll look at these last five games here. It gives us a better assessment of what we have going further, um, you know, as far as, you know, towards 18. Um, guest this evening, uh, you know, from the A to Z podcast, uh, The Athletic Cleveland, Mr. Zach Jackson. Zach, thanks for taking some time out here for us tonight. I always wanted to be 122nd at something, so it's a pleasure. <laughs> for some of us, it's a step up, my friend. <laughs> Uh, Zach, uh, the athletic, obviously, you know, one of the newer things, you know, started over the summer, they were able to start off by bagging some big names and actually, uh, you know, able to, you know, bring in some quality writers, you know, and they have it devised, you know, through different cities, you know, covering the sports throughout the United States. How's everything going as far as, you know, the athletic looks and, you know, the readership and things of that nature? It's good. Uh, March 1st was the launch in Cleveland. I started about three weeks later. Um, but, you know, it's exciting, and uh, unfortunately, as the Brown season has taken a turn, I think overall interest <laughs> has dipped, but The Athletic has grown. Uh, we have multiple full-time writers on the Indians. Uh, we're covering the Blue Jackets, the Browns, Ohio State. Ari's been kicking ass on that as, as they've you know, had so, never a shortage of storylines there. And it's just an exciting concept. I think people are getting hip to it, and even if you're hesitant about subscribing, that's fine. But if you download the app, you get five free articles a month. You see how slick the app is. And um, hopefully, you know, over the next month or so here, when the Brown season that really gets everybody revved up starts, uh, people will, will get on board to what I'm doing and what Tom Reed is doing uh, more than they have thus far. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing. And like I mentioned to you earlier, the great thing about the athletic is, is, you know, look, sometimes, you know, there is a fee involved. The fee is very minimal, and I think they did a great job. And look, I mean, you know, writers got to get paid. I mean, there's bills to be paid. You know, the, you know, everybody's got, you know, they got kids to feed and things of that nature. But the the amount that they put on it per month, it's, it, it was extremely reasonable. And, you know, like I said, uh, I, I've become a fan. Anybody, if you're thinking about it, I truly recommend it. Um, before we get into Cleveland, Zach, um, the hugest news of the day yesterday, and I mean, just an absolute crazy story. And the reason I want to ask it is, you know, you're out in Ohio. I, I watched... Greg Schiano firsthand here in New Jersey. Rutgers, almost my entire life growing up, you know, football-wise, it was a punchline. It was a joke. Me and my friends, you know, uh, I had a buddy, you know, Johnson & Johnson is big in New Brunswick, the area, right around the school. You know, uh, a buddy of mine, his mother worked there. We had free tickets for any game we ever wanted to. We used to go on Saturdays and Saturday nights basically to kill an hour and a half. You know, they'd be down 40 nothing at the half, and we'd go about the rest of our Saturday. But you, Greg Schiano and... You know, you know, you're in Ohio and you know the southeast of the United States. College football, it's big here for us because it's big for us to watch TV, and it's for me, me. I'm a Florida State fan, and you know a lot of New Jersey is Penn State fans. But Greg Schiano did something in the New York, New Jersey area that's never been done before. He made college football a thing here. People wanted to go to the games. People wanted to watch the Rutgers games. You know, obviously, you know, he got the huge opportunity. You know, he exited out the back door, went to Tampa. 
you know, that all fell apart. What is his reputation, you know, two years in now at Ohio State? And, you know, because for me, I, I'm a little I'm a little teed off at what happened down with him and down to Tennessee yesterday. Because I think Greg, Greg was probably a great guy for the job. Because one thing, first things first is when you're a team like that and you get your butts kicked in, you got to play some defense. And that's what Greg Schiano brings. And the other thing is, is Greg walks into a locker room and Greg will point out his mother if she's making a mistake, which is, I think, what they kind of needed. Where is the reputation, you know, two years in now with his stint as D coordinator in Columbus? Well, unfortunately, I, I think just on the surface, and I'm not close to this situation, but I, I think what he did at Rutgers has nothing to do with this. I think this is a uh, an outrage, uh, Twitter outrage issue. I think this is an issue of Tennessee fans just didn't want their – they wanted another guy, you know, and whether it's a guy from the South or a guy tied to the program like T. Martin or whether they're, you know, still hanging on for some reason to that John Gruden pipe dream. <laughs> uh, I think it's just they didn't want Greg Schiano. You know, what's his reputation? I think over the last 24 hours, many people in the coaching business have come out and spoken on his behalf. Uh, I, you know, the, 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 really here the AD, uh, you know, it really looks like the dummy for you know making the hire and then allowing people to connect the dots to Penn State. But we've now seen on the record – that you know, people that have done exhaustive research on Penn State don't tie him to that at all. Don't hold him guilty of anything. So, I think it's just an issue where 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 mistakes were made in terms of how things got out, not gauging reaction, letting you know your fans, which is always an interesting discussion because you want happy customers, right? <laughs> uh, it just became this really weird, really 2017 story where the Twitter mob. Uh, one out, and and the guy who was hired by by the AD um, did not and won't be the coach. Yeah, and and see that's the toughest thing because it, it just you know I mean obviously he made it and you know obviously it came out quickly, and this is kind of the guy they need and you know you're tying him back. I mean, is that what you're going with? Was the the Penn State story? I mean, he was out of there I, I believe by like ninety five. It, it just it's just so crazy, and I guess for whatever reason and and look here, Tennessee fans. Look, you guys were once a very storied program. I get that. You know, I've been watching college football for 30 years. You did not have an SEC win this year. So you're out here, you know, you know, looking, you know, with bottles of champagne. You're looking if you're going to get a guy with a bottle of Boone's Farm right now. The program is not what it had been historically. So it's just a crazy day. And, I, I mean, I feel bad for Greg because I, I think he would have done a good job there. And, you know, now, I mean, in Tennessee, I got news for you. I don't know who you're going to get now because now – it's it's an impossible job that nobody's going to want to take on. Yeah, but, no, the, the, this did make that job toxic, that's for sure. I mean, there's so many openings in the SEC, like six, right? And yeah. so, you know, one or two things is going to happen, or maybe both. There's going to be an incredible bidding war where, where the numbers have already been just jacked up to astronomical rates. I think we're going to go even higher. Or two, you're going to have to go to your own guy or non-A-list guy like Ole Miss did in keeping its interim coach because there's just, you know, the supply and demand thing is not there. And, and the SEC is a different beast. I mean, I, I think here, even if you take the whole Twitter thing out of it, um, you know, the whole Penn State thing, obviously out of it, which you can't do. But you look at these just territorial folks, you know, and, and you mentioned Tennessee has, has stunk now for – uh, has not been nationally relevant, I guess, or has not played to their old standard for, for a number of years. It's like, you know, they want a certain pool or they think that Nick Saban or John Gruden is going to walk through that door, and and I don't think that is. So as for who takes that job now, man, I, I, I really, really don't know, and I think this will end up being, you know, doing more harm than good, uh, what happened on Sunday afternoon to that program. 
Yeah, I actually had to put out one tweet today to somebody because I was actually backing up Greg and, you know, I, I gave the, you know, in Rick Pitino voice, John Gruden's not walking through that door. Yeah, so he's not. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think for 20 million because every time you've heard John Gruden, I would break every NCA violation within three hours on the job because he doesn't know what he's doing. And, and now, I mean, you can break an NCA violation by sneezing in the wrong direction at a recruit. So it's just so much. And I understand they want, you know, they want the quick turnaround. They want the quick fix. But when you're a bit that big of a program, sometimes you need this slow, gradual rebuild. But getting to yesterday, uh, obviously now 0-11, draft position, number one pick, looking more and more solid as the weeks go by. Um, <laughs> one thing we noticed yesterday is, you know, I've been hyping up for weeks here, Emmanuel Ogba and his play. Obviously without him, I actually have him touted as a defensive MVP to this point. It was a huge loss without him yesterday. But uh, go ahead, give me some general thoughts about, you know, uh, you know losing by two scores yesterday to the Bengals. Well, yeah, I mean, to start with Iba, sure, you, you notice it because, you know, you play a bunch of guys on the D-line. Everybody does. And, and the Browns have a making, the makings of a good young defensive line. But the emphasis, like in most other position groups, is young. And the fall off from Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Lagba to the next guys is tremendous. You know, will the next guys be in the league next year? I don't know. So you miss him. Uh, the same issues on defense. You know, for once, the, the tight end didn't gash you, but the running back did. Still giving up too many plays in the middle of the field. And, and the play that cracks me up is down. The Bengals down late in the second quarter. Throw it into the middle. And Mixon actually runs the wrong route or runs in his way because the middle's so wide open and takes the ball away from the tight end, scoring a <laughs> touchdown there. So, uh, you know, these are important games for Miles Garrett. These are important games for Corey Coleman, who comes out looking like a little bit of a goat because he drops the touchdown pass. These are important games for Brutal. Guys. You know, um, these are our evaluation points, and if you really want to take a big-picture look and say, hey, this was always going to be about the second half of the year and growth, I mean, the Browns have played better in these three games since the bye week. They really, really have. But they're just not good enough to play two or two-and-a-half quarters, which is what I thought they did on Sunday, and win. And, you know, the Peppers, the play, it's controversial and it's disappointing uh, because they would have punted. But it's like all throughout the game – you know, there's just a miss here. You're an inch off there. There's a flag there. Drop a pick six. Drop another pick, Body Calhoun. And to win a game, they're going to have to make those plays because, you know, the defense, like I said, I, I've seen some bright spots, but I'm not calling it a good defense because they saw it to stop the run in the first half. I'm, I'm just not. And really the state of the team is such that a good defense would make a couple of those game-changing plays and set up the offense which clearly needs all the help it can get. And in a day where you say they played pretty well and Kaiser had his best numbers and didn't turn the ball over, they still only scored one touchdown and lost by two touchdowns. Yes, guys, you were listening to Locked On Browns, episode 122. Um, please, guys, go ahead, leave the five-star review. Make sure you're everybody uh, subscribed. It means so much to me. Uh, the listenership is up a crazy amount. I can't thank you guys enough. Now, getting back to Mr. Deshaun Kaiser, I was huge on him coming out of Notre Dame. Uh, I think it's been a rough stretch for him because I think he got himself into a kind of the same situation he had at Notre Dame as far as the head coach. Um, obviously, we're starting to see some improvement. Are you seeing enough improvement? You know, what are your thoughts long term? Can Deshaun Kaiser be the guy here? It, am I seeing enough improvement? No, but you couch that with who's he trying to impress? For one, you know, who's going to be calling the shots? And for two, like, who could succeed in this spot? And that shouldn't be two. That should be number one through 500. I mean, they, they, I just hated the handling of this from the very start. Um, you know, not just the crappy receiving core around him, but 
you know, letting Osweiler take his reps when he clearly wasn't in your plans and not recognizing earlier that you needed another plan and taking him out for throwing interceptions when you say you're going to stick with him and sitting him for a game and putting in a guy that's completely overmatched, but he's still better than your third-round pick from a year ago. And, yeah, I mean, obvious improvement in, in two of the three games since the bye week. Really played a decent game against the Vikings, one of the league's best defenses. Uh, didn't play well against the Jaguars. That happens to a lot of quarterbacks. But I, I see positive signs. I see areas where he still has to improve. Um, you know, I thought he kept plays alive with both his feet and his eyes in Cincinnati, which was improvement. Um, you know, he still has the accuracy issues. Still, sometimes I wonder what the hell he's calling on third and one or some red zone situations where now he's kind of taking the ball out of his hands, won't even let him make a play because he's, you know, the coach seems scarred by the prior misses. So I think Deshaun Kaiser is going to get a big fat incomplete um, for for his final grade in this year. He's going to get some bruises, uh, hopefully just physically and not mentally to show for it. But, you know, if, if this was if this was the end of December and the end of November, has he shown me anything to think that I, I shouldn't take a guy if I love a guy or that I could start next year or that I could eventually win with Kaiser? I, I think my answer would have to be no, um, despite, like I said, checking some positive boxes. Yeah, I think the thing is, is with all the capital that they have, you know, with the free agent money, with the draft picks, you'd be foolish not to go here and hedge your bet. I mean, he could look like Tom Brady for these next five weeks, but you have all of this. And really, you're starting to, you know, your needs are starting to get smaller, which is what a good front office does over a three-year rebuild. So you're foolish if you think Josh Rosen could be a fantastic quarterback. You go ahead and bring him in. If you want to sign a free agent quarterback, a Tyrod Taylor, one of these guys, to push him, to make him, you just got to go ahead and do it because you can. So, I go ahead. No, I'm listening. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, finish your point. I'm, I'm just listening. No, I just think you have all the capital in the world. And look, obviously, you know, Kevin Hogan and Cody Kessler, you know, the, you know, they you know maybe be a second string quarterback in the Thanksgiving Bowl, so I mean you've got to go ahead and improve the position overall. So I think you got to you know look to add there. No question, um, whoever's in charge and whatever the plan is, I think one thing I've learned from this year is that you have to add both a veteran and a rookie next year, and and whether that's you know Cousins or someone else that's immediately your starter in play or whether it's, uh, you know, like a C-list guy that comes in and, and competes with Kaiser and a high draft pick. And, the, you know, maybe the high draft pick waits four, six, eight, ten, twelve games like should have been done with Kaiser this year, then, then that's the way to go. Um, it's just so hard to tell because, you know, I, I, I know that the owner didn't come in wanting to blow this up. And I, I just – I think nobody – uh, as an observer, fan, media member, whatever, wanted to see this, but it's bad. The numbers are historically bad, and you got to squint. you got to really be optimistic in your orange and brown glasses to see progress uh, outside of being able to say Miles Garrett is a super freak. You really do. So, you know, if I was in charge, could I trust these guys to, to go through another offseason? <laughs> I don't think I, you, you'd have to make a hell of a case to convince me. Yes. Is there any case to keep you given how he's handled things despite the tough situation? There's not much of one. So I don't know. I, I don't envy the Haslam's. I don't envy who takes over. But the one thing I will say is 
is multiple people need to be added to this quarterback room, even if you think Kaiser is going to compete, because I don't think enough will be able to get done slash proven by him this year to show that, that he's a guy that, you know, eventually can be that guy. Yes. Could, could he be on the team? Could he play again next year and give that shot? Sure. But I don't think anybody anywhere is saying, boy, I want Deshaun Kaiser uh, because in 2019 and 20, I'm going to win a ton of games with him based on what I've seen so far. Even if you did, though, you have to also take in mind you have all of this, you know, you have, you know, the money, you have the draft picks. Look at quarterback injuries. I mean, even yes. if Deshaun started 5 and 1, oh no, Deshaun went down. Uh, is it Hogan or Kessler? No, it's nobody. It's over. It's done. It's over. Right. You know, and, and to, like, e- even with, with this capital and they've accumulated a lot of it like we've shown if you'd accumulate some in the quarterback room you can trade that for even more you know like these guys are in demand and you're out here taking osweiler dragging them along and cutting them for nothing you know you're you got kessler and hogan who aren't in any kind of demand i I don't know what kaiser would bring i don't know what the situation would be but the the mishandling of the situation it, it it just overshadows like i said every it's the cloud that hangs over the entire organization and it overshadows any bit of good you, that you've done. You know, Garrett's great. Um, it's been a disappointing year because the injury is flat out. It doesn't mean he can't be great going forward because I think he could be Carlos Dunlap, but even better. I think on a good team, he can be a 12, sometimes 14 sack guy. He's great. I'm not ready to write off Corey Coleman 14 games in, into his career. But the fact is he's got hurt twice this year while catching the ball. He's not catching the ball and doesn't resemble anyway a number one wide receiver. And that's how you're judging him. So eventually – you know, you'd like to say whether it's Gordon Coleman, uh, you know, a, a rookie or free agent next year, that you'd like to have the building and know where these guys are going to be. But none of them have proven anything. You know, I understand the excitement for Josh Gordon this week because this dude is different. But I, you know, he's let you down many times before. He hasn't played in three years. He's coming in to an offense where. Let's be honest. Everything about the passing game, every time he drops back, it's a little bit of a wing and a prayer, right? And, and I think for that, I think there's equal blame to go around on on guys um, catching the passes or not catching the passes, guys deciding on who should be catching the passes, the play call or whatever. But this isn't a passing game. This is like an ongoing experiment where you're just kind of flinging it out there and seeing what happens. Okay. Before I get to number 12, uh, Duke Johnson uh, I mean, we were told this week in the running back coach, Duke Johnson is going to be more involved. We're going to get him more heavily involved. Duke Johnson got 11 touches. Why can't they find more of a role for him? Yeah, uh, it, it's a hell of a question. I wrote about it a little bit last week. I've been asked about it in my weekly mailbag, and I, I've thought about it as I sit there and watch the games each Sunday. Um, it's not as easy as just give him more because he is your complimentary back. He's a smaller guy. He has a skill set. What he's proven this year, and one of the positives, is that he can be not more than just an NFL player. Like He has some shape. He rarely lets the first guy take him down. He's a gifted pass catcher. He can be a weapon. So, you know, I think the biggest thing to me, uh, although Hugh should have gotten the ball to him more, I think the biggest thing is the failure of the rest of the passing game. Uh, a tight end you can rely on, a, a receiver that gives you a bread-and-butter play that distracts the defense because I think what's happened with Duke, who's leading your team in receptions by like 20, 11 <laughs> games into the season, is now when he's on the defense is no. And it's hard to screen if you can't throw it vertically, right? It's hard to throw it in the flats if, if, if teams don't don't respect your, your vertical passing game. You know, it, it's hard for the second guy 
to get yards on the perimeter if the first guy can't. So uh, his best games have been when they haven't turned the ball over, duh, but when they've run the ball successfully with Isaiah Crowell, which especially has been, um, you know, over the last month or specifically, you know, going back to maybe mid-October, uh, and then Duke's gotten involved. I mean, I love the vertical pass, obviously, for the touchdown. Great ball, great catch against Jacksonville. But he's not comfortable as a slot receiver. He's got to play his natural position. And like I said, for him to get and maximize those touches, other guys have to create because when he comes in, especially when it's not third down, the linebackers and the safeties are like, there's 29. He's a completely different player than Crowell. Let's adjust accordingly. Okay, and now here he comes, number 12. Um, look, I, I understand everybody's excited. Uh, we're talking three years away from football. How? What are some realistic expectations? In I mean, my God, I mean, uh, you know, talk about leaving a car under a tree for three years. How much rust is there actually to shake off? I'm going to give you two sets of realistic expectations, okay? One is – Exactly what you said. Um, it, this is even for guys like Josh Gordon. This is a difficult game played by some of the greatest athletes in the world. And passing game is so much on timing and chemistry and comfort level and other guys getting open and things. You know, not to mention the quad strains and hammy strains of going out there and trying to you know manage your adrenaline and process everything. What did we play? Two preseason games in this offense. You know, so I think in that regard, you very much manage your expectations. And then you look at Josh Gordon, who's like a video game character, who's never played with a good quarterback but has been dominant at times, who's never been a great route runner but jumps over people, and who's loud back in this building when nobody thought it was going to be possible again, knows he's on like his 13th last chance and should have <laughs> a right? So, so um, you know, I, I guess maybe the – the safe answer is those expectations meet in the middle. Either way, they're high. They're understandably high. Uh, I, I, I cringe a little bit just given the Browns' track record that they haven't tried to tap the brakes on the optimism. But I just think that points to the whole reason that they let him back in the building after so many times he's let him down and embarrassed him. And that's just that the potential is there for him to be a really good player. 70% of the old Josh Gordon is a really good player. And a super hungry, focused Josh Gordon that shakes the rust and really has something to prove is a dime. Nah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you. And that's even the thing. If you get him back at 70%, that's still a thousand yard receiver probably in this league. Um, and, you know, but, you know, the difficult thing is, is, you know, Josh is one misstep away from, you know, that's it. We'll never see him again. So now handling the pressure of being back in the, being an NFL player. It's going to be interesting. You know, obviously you wish the guy the best. I mean, for all he's been through to actually get himself to the point where the NFL says, yes, you can play in an NFL game again. You know, you got to give him some credit for at least getting to here. But, you know, the trick now is going to be to maintain this as the years go on. Um, a couple quick ones before we let you go, Zach. Look, uh, you get one choice. You can either keep Hugh or the front office. There's no way it's going to go one more year with these two. There's no way... And if I'm the front office, you know, I'm looking out there on yesterday and I'm saying, look, there's our owner and our head coach talking with the backup quarterback that they tried to sandbag trade behind our eyes at five o'clock on Halloween when we left a little early. Uh, you got to choose one. Who are you choosing? Well, I'm going to answer this by saying 
that a couple of months ago I would have undoubtedly said I choose the head coach. Uh, I'll answer this by saying I really hate this scenario and don't envy that and don't <laughs> want to answer. But if I only had to choose one, I'm not sure I could choose you. And, and maybe that's just from where I sit. And, and I hear him be just so dismissive of everything. Like, like you know, um, it's, not, it's not his fault. Of course this happened. You know, whatever. Things are getting better. We're battling. We can't win. You know, like, I, I don't like the dismissive stuff because winning does matter. And if, if you just won four games, um, which is not a real, uh, unrealistic expectation for like 30 of the teams, you'd be in the damn playoff race, right? So um, I don't think this front office is cut out to succeed uh, over the long haul. I don't. I could be proven wrong. They have done an amazing job of stacking assets and doing a by-the-book rebuild. I do not think they have the proper feel for building a locker room, a roster, and finishing the rebuild to, to build a roster that's good enough so miles away. But in this situation, only having to choose one, I hold my nose and choose the front office. I mean, I think you have to go that way. I'm a little higher on the front office than you. I think they've you know solidified an offensive line. I think they've drafted well and have a nice rotational D-line. They, they haven't. You know, besides Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett and Agba actually is turned out to be a really nice pick. They haven't added, you know, look, superstars are what score points, and they haven't gone that way yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I, I think you wanted to come out of this year. And, 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 like, yesterday is a perfect example. And this isn't a super original or deep thought. But if they had already won even, like, two or three games, wouldn't you look at yesterday and say, okay, that's that's all right. That was a decent effort. They're just not there yet. But since they haven't, you know, it's just like it's the same shit, right? <laughs> and, and so I think if you take the step back, and like I said, I go, going back to May, I've been careful to write this. Like, we'll, we'll see how this team plays in the second half of the year. We know it's going to be young. We know it's going to be all these things. Let, let's see progress then. But you want foundational players. And you look at Agba and Garrett, and where else are they? I mean, I know you're paying those guards a ton of money. But we don't know if Joe Thomas is coming back or if he is, if it's only going to be for one year. You see nothing out of the tight ends. You, there is absolutely nothing certain about the future at receiver because you don't know about Gordon or Coleman, and you can't wait for Britt to leave. You have <laughs> no idea. I mean, Duke has played well, but you have no idea about the future of the running game because Crowell has had a disappointing season and is going to hit the market. You've seen nothing of days, right? And, and defensively, yes, it's a nice young defensive line that's completely unproven. And then what? I mean, Kirksey and Collins are, are nice players. In the secondary, where are your answers? I love Peppers. He's being brutally um, misutilized, I guess. But a corner, like, where are your answers? McCourty's 30 years old. Taylor's just a guy. Body Calhoun, I mean, every time he makes a play, he gets two penalties and two dropped interceptions before he makes another one. <laughs> and, you know, gets a little ding of an injury. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I mean... Uh, where I guess where, where where are your true building blocks? Garrett and Agba, and dot 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 dot. Yes, yeah, and and you know you could you could make the case to fill in five or six more, but not ten or twelve more. No way. No, they haven't proven it to this point. Um, two quick ones before we go. Do the Cleveland Browns finish the twenty seventeen season zero and sixteen, or is there a win left? Um. Right now, I would lean towards that they do win a game. But as I wrote yesterday, 
I, I, I hate making that prediction because I kick my own self in the ass and say you have to see it to, to believe it. Uh, I, 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 I see enough positivity and I see the fight and I, I realize how low the bar is that I think they can win a game. But the defense is going to have to make at least one game-changing play, and the offense is going to have to be much better over four quarters. I felt a little better about Green Bay, and well, I, I was feeling good about Green Bay until Brad Hunt, Brett Hundley went, you know, throw for throw last night with Roethlisberger. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Green Bay is a team that, that just knows how to win. I, I think the t- I think the last two are honestly the chance because the Ravens. So we're going to be in the playoff race when they come in, so they're going to be focused. I think the last two where you have a Bears team that's a mess and probably going to get Fox fired, and then maybe the Steelers JV team with Josh Dobbs and James Conner in Week 17. Yes. Okay, and when I announced I was having the on and asked for some questions, what in the world is Swenson's? Because there was about seven <laughs> questions about Swenson's. What is it for a Jersey guy who does not know? It is the greatest cheeseburger in the world. Uh, ah. it, is, it is a drive-in restaurant in the Akron area. They're actually expanding – to Cleveland, have expanded to Cleveland, although I don't really count that as a real Swenson's, but uh, you don't just get a body like mine, you earn it, and mine has been earned through Swenson's for many, many years. Uh, okay. Well, Zach, I thank you so much. Locked on Browns, episode 122. Guys, check out his work on the A to Z podcast. Check out the Athletic Cleveland. So much going on over there. Like I said, guys, for the money it costs, I truly recommend it. Thanks, everybody. Great week coming here at shows. Uh, appreciate you all for your time. Make sure you follow and subscribe. Leave the five-star review. Thank, can't thank you guys so much for your time. Good night, everybody. Thank you.